United Soccer Coaches is proud to bring you the weekly United Soccer Coaches podcast, covering all aspects and all levels of the game we love. The United Soccer Coaches podcast is presented by Team Snap and hosted by veteran soccer announcer Dean Linky, the longtime television and podcast voice of the association. Now, here's Dean with this week's show. I am Dean Linky, and this is the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap. I love this show each and every week because each and every week I have the opportunity to perhaps bring you something different. And I am able to do that because of the great members of the association, including the incredible advocacy chairs like Mike Lynch, who chairs the Faith-Based Coaches Advocacy Group. He did a five-part series last year that was incredible. And he reached out to me about discussing tactical fouls. And from where I sit, I hope you can appreciate as a broadcaster of the game, sometimes I have to sit and just soak everything in and let the people that really matter make big decisions or start big discussions. And tactical fouls is a big discussion, particularly more severe penalties for tactical fouls as some coaches want to eliminate it. Some coaches feel like it's part of the game. And we have both takes on today's show, led by Mike Lynch, the head coach at Belmont Abbey for the women's team. And he brought together an incredible panel, led by Anson Dorrance, the 40-year-plus coach of the North Carolina Tar Heels. Anson is, in my book, the greatest college coach for any sport, any gender of all time. 20-plus national championships. Of course, he was the head coach of the 1991 World Championship U.S. team. He also is a U.S. Soccer Hall of Famer, a United Soccer Coaches Hall of Famer. He's a legend. He's on. Lisa Cole, a longtime United Soccer Coaches staff member, the head coach of the Antigua and Barbuda women's national team. She just got a letter of commendation. She has a different take at her level on tactical fouls and the fact that they're part of the game. Kelly Finley, who's doing an amazing job with the Liberty Flames men's soccer team, they're 6-2-2 two, two on the season. He's on the show. And then also the 19-year top man for Binghamton, Paul Marco, who, like Lisa Cole, has been a longtime staff coach for the association. That's the panel. You kidding me? Mike Lynch, Anson Dorrance, Lisa Cole, Kelly Finley, and Paul Marco all talk about ways to deal with tactical fouls, some of them want to eliminate them. Some of them want the penalties to be more severe. Some, like Lisa, think at her level it's part of the game, which is understandable. And they have a fair and honest conversation. It's broken up in two segments, and I think you'll enjoy them both. And then we meet another 30 Under 30 member, Miguel Gutierrez, who gives a shout-out to Julio Serrano, who is an incredible chair for the Latino Soccer Coaches Advocacy Group. That's our show. We dive deep into tactical fouls and how we could maybe change the game, at least test it out, after this message from our presenting sponsor, Team Snap. Does managing your club or league feel like a second job? If so, you might need some help. With Team Snap, you can get it. Their customers save up to 15 hours each week on tasks such as communication, registration, scheduling, and more. Plus, everything you need is online, which means no more trips to the bank, no more lost checks, and no more colossal spreadsheets. Bring your club or league into the 21st century with Team Snap. Go to TeamSnap.com to learn more. Team Snap is proud to be the presenting sponsor of the United Soccer Coaches podcast. This is the United Soccer Coaches Podcast, and we have a star-studded lineup today to discuss tactical fouling. Is it needed in the game? Can there be more severe consequences for a tactical foul? Can we reduce the number of tactical fouls, or is it simply just part of the game? And to do that, Mike Lynch, who chairs the United Soccer Coaches Faith-Based Advocacy Group and is the head women's soccer coach at Belmont Abbey in North Carolina, where he is, by the way, the program's all-time wins leader, created this discussion, and he will lead this discussion, and he has assembled an all-star cast to help him do that. Welcome, Coach Lynch. Thank you, Dean. Appreciate the opportunity. Looking forward to it. My pleasure. Anson Dorrance, the legendary United Soccer Coaches Hall of Famer, 40-plus year head coach for the UNC women, and 20-plus national championships at UNC. In addition, 
the U.S. Soccer Hall of Famer, was also the coach of the 1991 World Championship U.S. team. Welcome, Anson. Thanks, Gene. Yeah, this topic fascinates me, so I appreciate uh, Mike's invitation. Lisa Cole, a longtime United Soccer Coaches staff coach who now heads up goalkeeping education for the association while also serving as the head coach of the Antigua and Barbuda women's national team. Lisa, who was the first national chair of the association's advocacy council, recently received a letter of commendation for her work with United Soccer Coaches. Welcome, Lisa. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm excited to hear about the discussion. Kelly Finley, who has coached at every level and is now crushing it as the top man for the Liberty Flames, 6-2-2 two two on the season, including an impressive win over UNC in Chapel Hill this year. Welcome, Kelly. Thanks, Dean. Looking forward to it. And the 19th year head coach of the men's soccer program at Binghamton, Paul Marco, who, like Lisa, has been a longtime staff coach for the association. Paul Marco rounds out our panel. Paul, welcome. Welcome. Thanks, Dean. I'm really looking forward to discussing this. I think it's very intriguing. Indeed. And with that, I turn it over to Mike Lynch to lead this discussion on tactical fouling. Coach Lynch, the floor is yours. Thank you, Dean. Welcome, everybody. Super excited to have everybody on. Just a, a, a quick uh, promo and intro and kind of what got me thinking about this topic. But as, as Dean had mentioned, I'm the chair of the Faith-Based Coaches. In addition to protecting religious liberty and sharing and being a resource to the United Soccer Coaches on, on the many traditions and customs of the major world religions, we also uh, commit to be the clarion call, if you will, the spotlight, to keep the spotlight on both the point and purpose of sport and trying to keep that front and center. Uh, the motivation and the genesis of this discussion on the use of tactical fouling. But, uh, but ultimately, the goal today is just to, to, again, get a good, robust discussion on the pros and cons, upsides, downsides of the current format, highlight any situation-specific exceptions that may, you, know, may you, you feel are important uh, regarding the use of tactical fouling. So um, we'll start off and briefly talk about sport and the point of purpose of sport and then kind of go into uh, uh, what the laws of the game say and, and, and how that how it's played out and, and the impact of that on the game. And then we'll kind of after the break, we'll talk and transition about the current does a punishment fit the crime and what is that doing to the game? Is it a positive, negative going forward, you know, in the moment, those kinds of things. And then if we have time, I'd like to kind of see if it merits any next steps. Is there is there something that uh, either just it was a great discussion and we record that or is it uh, something that maybe we could actually do to start saying, is there something that we could start lobbying for to maybe uh, um, uh, help, help the game out if, if we think there's even necessary to do that. So, but anyway, I, uh, you know, Anton, you were my first, first uh, person I called on this subject and you hopped right on it. Um, and, you know, and I, I think about sport and, you know, kind of the, the definition of sport, it's just, we're all wired to play. And then when you put a set of rules to it, we're competing. And so now we have competitive sport. Give me just uh, your initial thoughts right out of the gate, just what you think about uh, as far as uh, sport, competition rules, and tactical fouling. Well, obviously, uh, one of the reasons I jumped immediately, Mike, was uh, uh, I hate uh, tactical fouling. I don't allow it in my program. I don't even allow any kind of jersey pulling anywhere on the field. Uh, in fact, uh, last fall, it was kind of a, a, a hilarious moment. One of my kids, I thought, was taken out by a, a center back in a game. And I got up off my bench and started screaming at the referee because I didn't think it was a warranted foul. And then the referee said, well, Anson, from your perspective, you couldn't see, but your player had a hold of that girl's jersey. And that's what I was calling. I was calling your girl grabbing uh, the center back, not, not the other thing, the collision. And all of a sudden, uh, because our stadiums are empty, at the top of my lungs, and this is a televised game, I basically cussed at her. So the oxymoron of, you know, here I, I want her to play honorably in the midst of a, you know, a, a swearing sailor tirade. Uh, it was absolutely uh, hilarious because you could hear it on the broadcast. You could hear what I said. I reamed her for, you know, grabbing the jersey because we don't believe in it. I think uh, uh, our moral imperative in sport is uh, certainly to follow the rules and to follow the spirit of the law, not to try to get away with as much as you can. But I also think our rules don't do us any favors. Uh, I think uh, what every player knows is they have this opportunity to stop a, an opportunity to score or slow a player down. And uh, how are they granted this opportunity? Well, there's no repercussions for a first yellow. A first yellow is the most ridiculous penalty imaginable. 
So I'm into sin bins. And every time I have an opportunity, certainly on a show like this, uh, I'm going to start to talk about it again, because I think uh, the yellow card is an absolutely useless, I guess, methodology to try to uh, steer behavior. But I'll tell you, sin bin is a great opportunity. First of all, it doesn't change the game entirely. And then it makes the game interesting because now the coach has to make an adjustment uh, based on the time and, you know, whether or not they're ahead or behind or et cetera. You know, what system are they going to play now? And then let's figure out a, a sin bin uh, list of minutes that you lose for doing this sort of sin and that sort of sin. Uh, and it doesn't have to take much time because as soon as you pull out the sin bin card, the player has to start to move Im immediately. And if they don't move immediately, then you know, throw them out of the game. So it's not one of these delay tactics. And now you've got to sort out what your system is going to be, how you're going to play. And is the guy out for you know, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20, 30. And obviously we can discuss these things. But I genuinely think that our rules need revamping. The yellow card, red card thing is an absolute travesty of the game. And we've all been absolutely ruined by bad calls, uh, but also not supported by a player that has made an egregious foul that picks up a yellow. It doesn't really affect the team on that day. And I think we should revise our rules, which will have an immediate impact, by the way. If you're thrown out of a game for 15, 20, 30 minutes, every time you grab a player's jersey, trust me, you're going to stop grabbing jerseys. If you hold a player in a corner kick and you have a sin bin, uh, basically elimination for 15, 20 minutes, if you grab a guy in a corner kick or put your arms around them, which is what they're all doing now. And all of a sudden six players are thrown out of the game because in the last corner kick, you know, all these players are grabbing everyone. Trust me, that won't happen anymore. So there are things we can do to basically change our game in a positive way. Uh, and I'm into changing it. And I don't believe in unethical behavior. And I think the sin bin would be the solution. It's interesting you're talking about the laws of the game and, and just the behavior change once you're on that first yellow. Um, I mean, you'll see players deliberately pull back. It, it changes the nature of that ongoing attack, if you will, once they're sitting on a yellow. It was interesting, Law 12, I pulled up uh, last night, you know, the IFAB Law 12, and it talks about there are different circumstances when a player must be responsible <laughs> for unsporting behavior. But it is, you know, they don't, it, it's, it's, so, it's so open. And, and probably for good reasons, but it does. It creates these situations that where the the, uh, the the team that gets that gets stopped doesn't really get rewarded, if that makes sense. But um, but Lisa, you know, you know, you coached all over the you know different levels, and you know now on the national team. So there, there's I'm sure in the, the in the results oriented business, you could argue that you know doesn't get any more results oriented when you're a national team game. What what are your thoughts as far as uh, tactical fouls? Yeah, I think um, first thing is to make a distinction between tactical fouls and then dangerous fouls. I think there's no place in the game for a hard, dangerous foul and something that's um, really malicious and is going to cause harm. But I think within the game and within the laws of the game currently, right, so as laws change, change uh, uh, football will change. But within the game, the laws as they are currently, I think – there is a place for tactical fouls at a certain level of the game. I've never in my youth coaching career ever talked about tactical fouls and when to foul, because I think it's inappropriate to teach youth. Again, not an environment where games matter or where you're going to see my light, my job on the line because of results. But I think when you do get into the international game and the level you're coaching at, is it smart on a counterattack, if we're out of shape for a player player to slow up another player, it probably is actually a smart thing to do. Just like uh, towards the end of the game, it's maybe it's smart to go and not go straight to goal, but to take the ball into the corner to delay time and things. So I think there's a balance between it being the smart thing to do based on the current laws of the game and being able to figure out how your players um, keep a lead or uh, prevent an op opposition from uh, stealing a lead late in the game or during the game. So that's my general thoughts on it. Is you have to think about when when would you teach it? What moments in the ga game is it something you talk about? And certainly my time at the professional level, as we're doing video review and things, there's been times we've seen as games are going on. And Anson, actually, some of your players are very famous for uh, – tactical fouls. I can think of Amber Brooks or Megan Klingenberg actually committing a lot of those fouls and are very smart at when and where to do those things. So I think it's something as you get to a certain level of the game, it's just part of the game, unfortunately. But that 
I should, you should never see it in the youth game. It's my opinion. So Kelly, if Lisa mentioned, you know, there's going to be maybe some uh, um, situations in the game or your team is not in shape. You know, I know, I know at Man City, Pep Guardiola is known for, hey, my closest attacking player who may not have as many accumulated yellows on the on, in record already. You know, the closest player, foul him, stop the play so we can get back into shape. What are your thoughts as far as is, you know, are we also then not requiring that our team be cognizant of our defensive shape while we're on attack? I mean, is, isn't that part of good coaching and, and being a good player, knowing that you should be in the right position in case your, your team does turn the ball over? What are your thoughts? One, I, I love the, the two perspectives that have gone um, already. I, I think um, I love the Sinbin idea. Um, you know, that, that player that persistently fouls five, six times, and now you're dependent on the referee to, to stop those moments, which are tactical against you. Um, but for me, I, I go back to the idea that, you know, I, I'm okay if we foul in the opponent's half or we're over aggressive, but it's not something to bail ourselves out. And so for me, there is a character issue there. If you're, if you're working hard, if you're doing what the tactics of your team demand, um, if, if you get a foul on the other side because you're over aggressive and it turns into a yellow, like on, on our teams, I think that's a symptom of the game and, and something that happens, but to give away a soft yellow by pulling someone, that just means you're lazy. And so I, I think it goes back to what you're trying to drive out of your players. And so for me, if you're taking shortcuts and you need a shortcut to help you out because you're in the wrong spot, I don't agree with that. And so for me, tactical fouls lean towards that. So I'm not in the right spot. So I have to bail myself out. I take a shortcut. Um, it's just like, if you're organizing your team and your shape is right, an outcome of that might be that your opponents are offsides, but you're not raising your hand up. You're not trying to play an offsides trap. It's just, we've done the right thing. So therefore they're offsides, just like fouling. If we're aggressive and you know we're trying to win the ball in the right way, then tactical fouls aren't, aren't needed because you've done the right things. You have the right character. I would also say that nothing ever to me is worth getting a red card. If I have a player on a breakaway and, you know, I, I mean, unless there's four seconds left or something crazy in the game, to me, I would rather live to fight another day, so to speak, and keep 11 players on the field. So that also questions that tactical foul. You know, you see Luis Suarez a few years ago in the World Cup, and, you know, it, it paid off for them, I guess. But ultimately, that was just, I mean, that was like one in a million kind of moment. And so I would probably summarize it all saying that I'm not okay with tactical fouls because I think – at the beginning of that, you haven't done what you're supposed to do as a player or a team, and you haven't been committed enough to what you're trying to do. Um, and then nothing, nothing, in my opinion, merits getting a red card because you need to do something to bail your team out. Paul Kelly mentioned he was talking about just, you know, red card and yellow cards. And, and it, I just watched in soccer this weekend, every game I watch, um, there's tactical fouling going on. And, you know, the preferred one is they grab the top of the shoulder and just kind of slow them down and to, to, to like Lisa's point it's not a dangerous foul. You just basically stop and play in order to, to then get your team in position and, uh, and, you know, punish the, the counterattacking team. But, but, but I also saw the referees not even given a yellow card for that. I'm thinking, my goodness gracious. So not only do I not get to see this goal scoring opportunity, this counterattack, the, the, the person that did it, the team that did it, there was no punishment other than there was no, actually no punishment. Um, and so I know you feel you've had some, you know, strong opinions about this. I think you mentioned when, when we first spoke, you even said your, your wife had chimed in. And so um, tell me kind of what, uh, um, what your thoughts are, where you kind of stand. Well, I, I think that the red card and yellow card, that's an issue in itself. I mean, Anson brings up a great point. I think that the other piece that we really haven't mentioned is referees do change how they call the game based on the time of the game and the score of the game. You know, with COVID, there aren't a lot of places who are allowing ball people. So now all of a sudden it's a delay tactic and the referee now is stopping the clock for every moment. Um, and then the very next game you go to, there is no stoppage of the clock for it. So I think that a lot, th a lot of things uh, do need to get looked at. It's really just showing how competitive we're getting and how little, little tiny moments are mattering. I also agree with everyone in, you know, obviously the way that we teach our youth and right from wrong and, and trying to teach them the proper way to play and defend. 
I mean, most of the time we're talking about defending. Is it okay to set a pick in the box for a corner kick once the ball is delivered? That I would consider that obstruction. But the grabbing and everything that Anson spoke about inside the box on corners and set pieces, it's ridiculous. I think if you started awarding penalty kicks for those things, then things would stop. It's interesting. I spoke with one of my players who, at the halfway line, Anson, his thought process is deny the opponent the ball and then foul him. And it only happens really naturally. I don't think that he thinks that way, but when you speak to him, he's like, well, I can't get the ball and I can't let him get by me. And he's always overzealous. He's reaching for the ball. Now, most of the time he's very athletic and he denies the opponent the ball, but his, his, he doesn't have delay. Delay is not part of what this player tries to do. And so he ends up fouling. And sometimes you would consider it a tactical foul. And sometimes it's just a foul at the halfway line. There was no real thought. There was no counterattack starting. Uh, we had plenty of numbers behind the ball. He just ended up fouling him because of how he thinks going in. So I asked my guys this morning uh, at training, did any of your previous coaches teach you tactical fouling? Almost to a player, they said yes. And they talked about it being part of the game. And that's how they're being raised. Now, we don't really talk about it and teach it. We certainly talk about stopping counterattacks and talk more about having good shape when we're in possession in case we do lose it. But I, I think Anson's onto something. I would like to see something that's not going to be so hesitant for a referee to give a decision where they send a player off. That then affects the next game as well. I'd like to see something that affects the current moment and have, I like having a player sent off for a certain time, such as a lacrosse penalty or hockey penalty box. I think that uh, we might, we then may have more fourth officials at games as well. So we could talk about increasing more people working games, but just a thought. Yeah, those, that's a good point, Paul. And, uh, you know, the, you know, I remember, I remember as a, as a player, I remember the, you know, the coaching point when I was a youth player was it was the ball or the man, but not both. <laughs> and so, you know, that was kind of the way I, I was raised as, as a player thinking that, you know, you don't let, you don't let that person through. And so I, I could see where then the role of coaches is so important. And, and Anson, to your point, you know, you were talking about the, you know, the, whether, whether we allow it or don't allow it, we encourage, don't encourage it, but still it's going to come up to the referees. And, and again, they're afraid to give the yellow because of accumulation down the road. You're, you're penalizing this player for the next game when it's really, what are we going to do about the situation right then? Can you think of, I mean, just, I, mean, I would imagine in, in your games, there's pivotal moments every game where you're like, Boy, that just changed the nature of that game right there. We don't know if we would have got a goal scoring chance or not. Any any thoughts on just even in the last week, did you have a situation where I don't even know what what happened, what, what we could have done because it was stopped? This is why I think we should give the referee a different a tool. I think the tools the referee have right now are very dull tools and they don't really uh, uh, change behavior in a positive way. Because the way that all of us understand, oh, you know, a color commentator uh, is there in the booth and this guy picks up a yellow and then the comment is always the same. Well, you know, he's going to have to be careful now. Uh, and uh, invariably they are. I mean, every now and again, they're not. And then every now and again, the second yellow doesn't warrant ejection. The second yellow is nowhere near ejection, but the first yellow was worth ejection. Uh, so maybe, you know, it, it sort of comes out in the wash, but I hate that. I hate designing a game that's uh, unfair. I also hate designing a game where you put uh, so much responsibility and uh, I guess uh, outcome uh, at the feet of the referee. Uh, and I don't want that. I want uh, our kids to be penalized for their own mistakes. And, and I don't want these dull ancient tools that we use because of you know this tradition of the game, let's not ruin our game. And so everyone's so reluctant to make changes. If you look at the evolution of uh, basketball in the United States, that game continues to take off. That game continues to support all of us when we're in the NCAA tournament. Why? Because it's a wonderful game. And what was one of the great things they added? They added the three-point line. Holy cow, was that fantastic for basketball. And I think what we have to do is we have to, you know, bring uh, the traditionals into the room with the rest of us that want equity in results and have referees in there and say, you know, what tools uh, uh, could you use? Because here's what we hate. We hate the jersey grabbing. We hate uh, what Paul was talking about where, you know, we grab the shoulder. We hate the fact that arms are wrapped around us on all set pieces, corner kicks, et cetera. What do you recommend we do? And I think what we should do is we should uh, talk about sin bins to basically give the referees an opportunity. But also, I promise you, that'll change behavior. Every player is dying to play. And the other thing that's really cool right now with VAR is we can catch all these cheaters 
we can catch them all and we can punish them immediately. Uh, so for me, we're in a, a, a wonderful place in our game with VAR. And I, obviously there's a lot of criticism of it. And I agree with a lot of the criticism, but I think that's uh, one thing that can decide whether or not this kid sits out. And then let's determine how long they're sitting out for. And the other thing that's fun is then the coaches have to make decisions on what shape to play. And that'll be really interesting for all of us to watch based on time of the game, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I think, uh, yeah, we ought to get everyone together in a room and let's sort this out. And I think the United States is a great place to experiment this because obviously in the more traditional uh, places in the world, they're not gonna budge at all. But I think we should budge. Uh, I watch women's lacrosse and men's lacrosse regularly. We have two teams, I think are ranked number one right now. They are great to watch. The sin bin is fabulous because they actually sit in a chair like a kid sitting in a corner and it's kind of humiliating in a positive way as they sit there, as they, you know, wait out their sin bin minutes. And then I'm listening to on the televisions for lacrosse. Oh, there's only 15 minutes left in the sin bin or whatever it's called. And then they go charging back out onto the field. And it's kind of exciting, even as they re-enter the game. Uh, and that can be exciting as well. It's almost like, you know, a hundred yard dash. You've got these two cones at the mid stripe and then go. And now that player's out there sprinting to get back involved in the game. There are all sorts of positive elements in this that I think we can benefit from. But to get back to, I think, the core source of why you're having these discussions, Mike, I think there are ethical considerations we have to consider. And I think one of the best things we can do is have a conversation about ethical decisions. And one of the things I think we have to do is decide these things are wrong. This is cheating. And let's not cheat. Let's not cheat to get results. Uh, and I think uh, uh, this is a way for us to enforce that because one of the greatest things about sport, in my opinion, it's one of these rare environments where it doesn't really matter, but holy cow, can you teach wonderful lessons in our environment? And so if we're gonna teach wonderful lessons, let's make them ethical. And let's make our kids uh, uh, follow these things, even at the sacrifice of losing. Let's not cheat to win and let's not cheat to prevent ourselves from losing. Let's have nobility in this. Uh, and I consider this different than the 50-50 ball between you and an opponent and one guy stepping up aggressively and all of a sudden there's a collision and one guy's a bit more aggressive. I don't think that's cheating. I think that's the aggression that I love in contact sports. So I wanna separate the two, the jersey grabbing, the holding in the penalty box, the grabbing of the shoulders away from the 50-50. Because one thing I love about our game is holy cow, do I admire the brave player that'll go in, stick his or her face into the mess and risk personal injury to try to win a ball. And then perhaps come with someone and then perhaps have an aggressive uh, a foul called against them. I don't consider that cheating. Uh, they took a physical risk. It didn't pay off. They weren't trying to injure the other player, but they were a bit too aggressive. Yes, that's a penalty, but I don't consider that cheating and sin bin worthy unless it goes along the lines of what uh, we were sharing earlier, where it's consistent infringement. And then I think uh, the character of that player should be impugned uh, with a send off for 15, 20 minutes. Lisa? Yeah, I think if you go back to um, what are the laws of the game, and um, it's an interesting discussion, Anson, to think about um, changing the laws of the game. And I think some, someone who is a bit true to not putting the game into the referee's hands, like for the same reasons you're saying, hey, maybe we should have, they should have more tools in their pocket. I guess I would say, should they have more tools or less tools might be the argument because I want to put the game in the hands of players and I want players to determine the outcomes of games. And I don't know currently that, um, again, adding one more reason they can call a foul or they can make an impact in the game, does that really help us? I mean, right now we still can't always get offsides right. We still can't get um, the handball right all the time. So I don't know that that fixes it, but it would be an interesting discussion. And maybe there's, maybe we can use MLS. Wasn't that where we use the penalty kick shootout to try to, that evolution? I don't know. Maybe there is something uh, to try. I don't think that we should um, not look at new ways. But for me, um, at this current moment in time, I would say that um, going that direction leaves us open to maybe even more controversy, um, although it's done in other sports. So maybe it's taking some time to look at other sports because hockey has a has a penalty box. Like you said, lacrosse has kind of a penalty box type um, environment. I just don't know what that would do to our game. 
Um, and I think tactical fouls, really, if you look at it, happen so, they don't, I don't think they happen over and over and over in games. I think they're very specific. If we're talking about hard fouls, like Anson's talking about, those happen more often. But I think tactical fouls where we're on a break, I'm going to pull it down. And I think those people that want to be ethical and those people that want to, um, I don't even think it's an ethical discussion when it's allowed in the laws of the game at this moment in time, right? And I think what's happening is people are just grabbing someone's shoulder to make sure it's not a, not a hard foul. People are trying to find ways to make, make it go. So I think as long as it's part of the game, we're going to see it. If we want to eliminate it out of the game, I think we have to be careful what we ask for because we are putting more uh, control of the game back into the people wearing the black rather than um, the two teams that are on the field, Poten potentially. So something to think about. Well, just to uh, add more fuel to this conversation, you can actually give them sin bin and take yellow cards away. So you can sort of give them something and then eliminate something from their control. Because what I do hate are the yellow cards. The red card, I think the red card should ensue if they have absolutely endangered another player physically. So what I hate are the two soft yellows that get a, uh, a player eliminated. I think the only way a red should ensue is if I went in so hard, it was it looked like it was the intent of injuring the other player, and I did. I think that's a red card offense. I think a lot of the double yellows are for soft fouls, and I don't think they should be eliminated from the game. So I think uh, what we could do if Sinbin is something, uh, uh, part of the conversation, Alicia, uh, your point is well taken. Um, we don't want to give the referee so many tools that uh, we've ruined the game, but maybe uh, throw the sin bin in and eliminate some of the other stuff like the yellow card. Because right now, I don't think the yellow card has any value in our game. I think uh, the red card should remain for the player that just is running around trying to injure an opponent. That's uh, red cardable. And I think everything else should be solved by the sin bin. Kevin? Yeah, there was, there was one thing I wanted to bring up to all of you and, and, um, in, in 1994, I was playing USL, and it was the year uh, the MLS was going to start the next year, and then they had all these really experimental rules they were throwing out. Um, so we had some strange ones, like anything that went out of bounds on the sideline, 35 yards from the end line was a kick-in. And one of the craziest rules was if you committed seven fouls at any point, there was a 35-yard shootout and it was like a brave heart moment it was hilarious and you get to six fouls the seventh foul happened everybody lined up at half field referee blew the whistle and we're all charging after this guy to try and keep him from scoring one thing and, and Anson I think you're saying this a little bit too and correct me if I'm wrong is that there is an element of this persistent infringement and so this happens in games where you know your, your team you're under pressure you finally break you finally break pressure get a good turn you're in and someone just whacks you down and they all get behind the ball and go and then you do it again and so those moments where you break pressure you do really well but there's this persistent infringement and then oh that guy finally gets a yellow card after his third foul but that's three attacks have been stopped and then another guy can get a yellow card and you know that, that's just something to throw out there on top of that sin bin is is there a foul limit that your team can't get away with and at that point is there a do, do players get eliminated now so for now the next 10 minutes because you fouled five seven times and a half do you now play down a player because you've taken tactical advantage through persistent fouling paul last word on this first well, segment this, this is great this is very interesting i'm glad i started my week off with this conversation because as we're talking i'm just thinking and i really do like the the sin bin piece I, I'd like a better name for it, but I do like it, Anson. Uh, it's got a catchy phrase. But one of the things that I think most of the things we're talking about are coaching and referee behavior. Because let's just take the coach who always has players stand in front of a ball on a free kick, no matter where the free kick is being taken. I mean, that would be great for the sin bin. They're in and out. I mean, that may be a minute or two off the field only. So I, I think that this has a lot of great discussion. You know, a player who, when I first heard it, and when I was sharing the conversation with my wife, she's a massive Real Madrid fan. She's constantly complaining that Barcelona get away with everything, and Real Madrid gets complained with everything. And any tactical foul against her team at the halfway line, I'm surprised her TV doesn't get broken. And 
most of the time, it really is just a player stepping in front of a Real Madrid player on a counterattack. So when we, we first started to talk about the tactical foul, that's what was in my mind. But now listening to everyone in further discussions, I mean, there's a lot of tactical decisions standing in front of a ball, kicking a ball away. And think of that, Anson. You kicked the ball away twice and you got sent off for that. That's not right. And, and the next referee that you are playing in a game, the referee won't even give you a caution for it. They'll just, well, here comes another ball and they just take it. I think that that's something for sure to be discussed. It's a tactical foul takeover on this week's United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap. We're going to take a break and we'll be back with our all-star cast right after this. College coaches, make sure your program is registered for the 2020-21 College Services Program. While the 2020-21 season looks much different than any of us anticipated, we are committed to providing benefits for College Services members year-round. The College Services Program supports and promotes the college game, including rankings and awards for participating programs, regardless of when your season is played. For more information or to register your program, visit unitedsoccercoaches.org/college. Looking for ways to improve your training session? Quick Goal has supplied the highest quality soccer goals, seating, field, and training equipment for more than 30 years. From backyards to the world's greatest pitches, Quick Goal has products essential to every level of the game. As an official partner to the United Soccer Coaches and technical partner to U.S. Soccer, Quick Goal knows what equipment you need to elevate your game to the next level. Visit quickgoal.com to satisfy all your equipment needs. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by Team Snap Segment 2. Mike Lynch set up this incredible star-studded panel talking about tactical fouls. Mike Lynch, Paul Marco, Anson Dorrance, Lisa Cole, Kelly Finley. Back to you, Mike. Thank you. Great discussion to get us, get us going. And I, I wanted to maybe throw in one other idea on the sin bin and then really kind of uh, veer towards something you also brought up, Anson, that, that opportunity where sport teaches and, and what an opportunity we have and, and we're missing the opportunity by, uh, by, uh, with tactical fouls. But uh, one of the things I thought was interesting and, I, and I, I was looking through my notes from the convention, this past convention, and I couldn't find my notes, but I could swear I heard it. It was one of the MLS uh, data analytics uh, coaches and was talking about the success of free kicks from just outside the 18. And, uh, and, and the number was high. So you think about the conversion rate of penalty kicks and, and then, so now, but, but, but now with the free kick outside the 18, you have a wall. Um, so you gotta, get, you gotta get over or around the wall. And so it's gonna be a lot more difficult, but the conversion rate at 22 yards was still pretty high. And I thought about the, the penalty arc circle and I thought, oh my gosh, that would be great. If I had a counterattack opportunity that could have led to a goal scoring opportunity and instead of like, so maybe in lieu of a sin bin, just give me a free kick at the top of the box. They still get to set up a wall, but now they've got to make a decision. Do I want to tactical foul this person at midfield or give, you know, and give them a free kick or just let the guy go because I think we can still stop him? But anyway, but the conversion was pretty high, and I thought, wow, if you've got a really good free kick taker and they know that, they may not want to do so. Anyway, just something to think about maybe as an addition to the, the sin bin. But, uh, uh, Anson, you talked about it, and everybody's kind of hit on it. You know, and, 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 Lisa, you had mentioned certainly the, the different levels of the game and in youth coaching, you, you don't address it with your teams. But uh, um, sport is unique. And uh, as far as it feels like it's life-threatening, but it's not. That's the beauty of it. And so we have this opportunity, whether we're, whether we're coaching professional teams or we're coaching you know, youth, youth teams, I still think it's the same. We're still always being formed. It still is uh, leaving an imprint with our fans and the people that are watching. And so what do you all think just about as far as the opportunity that, uh, that maybe, you know, we are, we're teaching them to be, to be tactical, but then again, we're also teaching them that maybe how, how do you get around rules? Um, any thoughts on that? Paul, kick it around. We'll, we'll work it back and back the other way. Any thoughts real quick, Paul? Kids know right from wrong. And if you let them get away with things, Anson, I heard you once on a course talk about inspecting the things you expect. Um, I came up with a new word, kind of like your sin bin phrase. So inspectations. So anything that I expect from them, I inspect. So if I let you get away with something during training sessions and practices, free play, uh, you should then expect to get away with it whenever. Um, so I think it more goes along the lines of whatever we expect, we should inspect. Um, and that includes just the simple things of right from wrong. 
I mean, I'm telling my guys to tuck their jerseys in so, one, their heart rate monitors don't fall out if it comes loose. <laughs> and second, because then it'll come out and you'll the referee will be helped in making a decision, right? But I think that, you know, if I want them to tuck their shirts in, I need to inspect them tucking their shirts in because otherwise they won't tuck their shirts in. But I do think that, that most players, uh, kids, know right from wrong at a very young age, and they learn that. And they learn it by people inspecting them. So... I think we just have to keep doing a good job as coaches, inspecting right from wrong and encouraging more right and disciplining wrong. Lisa, you want to add to that? Yeah, I just think we have to be careful about what we say is um, technically wrong right now. Currently in the game, the game allows for tactical fouls. It's not necessarily right for wrong. I think, um, you know. The game doesn't allow for the tactical foul. I mean, a foul is a foul. It's going to get called. We're just talking about the the purpose behind it is intentional. Yeah, but the, the difference between, for me, uh, that's what I wrote da- down, is it? it's talking about whether or not we want to look at, for me at least, whether we want to look at all things that maybe slow down the game, kicking the ball out of bounds, going to the corner, uh, going to these things. And for me, at the highest levels of the game, it's tactical right? It's, it's making a decision based on consequences of the game, based on them having a free break at goal. At the highest levels of the game, people are going to prevent that moment from happening. I don't want somebody running uh, 1v1. So we're teaching them to, within the laws of the game, taking the foul, be able to be able to play the game. Can I just, uh, just jump in real quick and say, so let's take basketball. You'll foul to stop the clock. Exactly. But, you know, which is very tactical, and that, that's part of the tactics, you know, the end of the game decision-making. But they also, usually a team's in bonus and they're getting free throws. And so then the, the punishment kind of starts making it, ooh, this could really cost us. We're not going to be able to catch up if they have a good free throw shooter every time the person I foul. And I think that is where it, it gets, you know, the, the, the idea that, yes, it is part of the tactics, but – I think there is a, a mandate to say that the, it's got to have a bigger punishment because otherwise there's no consequence. And the basketball is taking care of that with the free throw. You know, you go into bonus and you get a free throw for that that committed foul. But Kelly, did, did uh, at your school, character is, is a big piece of that. Do you feel like this is one of those things that you kind of put into into that bucket? Or, or is it just like you you mentioned before, it's it's sometimes it happens, sometimes it's uh, it's just part of the game. Lisa makes a really good point. I mean, the bottom line is when you're a professional coach, you're getting paid to win and you're going to get fired. If you don't, you're an international coach. You have to go get results. You've got three games in a world cup or qualifiers that require you to go get results. I think for me, I'm a college coach. I've made that decision that that's where I want to be. And, and I love being a teacher of the game. And, and I think, Paul, you said it well, if you're really in, in, and I think sports is about people development and, you guys have all heard the quote, I'm sure, that says that sports reveals character. You know, of course it can develop it, but it also reveals us when we get emotional and when we get frustrated and, and when we make the wrong choice in a moment in the heat of battle, like you said, it, it doesn't, it's not life or death, but man, it sure seems like it, you know? Uh, so I, I really like the aspect of, you know, you're playing the game to win the game 100%, but play in the right way. And so if I'm teaching my guys to cheat or take shortcuts and, you know, again, it doesn't even have to be, you can think of it so many ways. I mean, if, if you're organizing your team to play a, a good high line and they have to read the cues of when to drop and not drop, and you're asking them to put their hands up and stop running all the time, are they cutting corners? Are, are they cheating? And do they want to do that when they go on with their life? And so for me, tactical fouls fits in that category. If I'm educating them, which as a college coach, that's what I'm doing, educating them in life to cut corners and find ways to cheat. Am I really doing my job at the highest level? And, and I think the answer is clear. It's no, it's not because I want them to be great, you know, husbands and fathers and, and workers, um, you know, and managers, hopefully, and leaders. And so they have to do the right things when no one's looking. And, and ultimately, sometimes you can get away with stuff. Anson, you mentioned VAR. You can get away with stuff, some stuff sometimes whenever no one's looking. But is that really who you want to be when you get done with it all? And so that's kind of where my platform starts. And then if, if you get fouls because you're over aggressive and you're trying to be the antagonist of the game, that that's a character element. We, we want to be on the front foot. We, we want to be physical. We want to, 
you know, ask our guys to do all the right things. And if it turns out to be a foul on occasion because you're being over aggressive, it's the intent behind it. And again, I think I'm a college coach. I'm not in Lisa's situation. You know, I'm not in Anson's situation. He's in the World Cup. So the answer is a little easier for me, I think, because I'm worried about people development and then winning games at the same time. Anson, I know you chimed in on that uh, initially. Uh, um, any, any more thoughts on that? Yeah, first of all, uh, I'm really enjoying this uh, conversation and uh, everyone's points are absolutely well taken. And I like the distinction that Kelly's making uh, between uh, the professional coach that might get fired if he loses this game and the college coach uh, that has a different mission. And I completely understand that and support what Lisa's saying from one perspective, uh, but also what uh, Kelly and Paul are saying from a different perspective. To get back to that quote, Paul, it's uh, people do what you inspect, not what you expect. So basically, uh, you want to inspect everything you can if you want them to perform in a certain way. But Kelly's right. As collegiate coaches, we have a different moral imperative. We generally don't get fired if we lose a game or two. Uh, so uh, what we have an opportunity to do, but I think we have uh, a responsibility uh, in our environments to teach uh, uh, humanity, to teach, uh, uh, help people evolve into better human beings. And I think the priority changes at our level uh, than it does at a professional level, uh, what uh, Lisa was referring to. In fact, do we make it uh, intentional? If you look at our cultural core values on the women's soccer team at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, we have character development as our number one priority. We have academic success as our second priority. And finally, our third priority is soccer development. So it, it basically sits behind the other two. So the uh, top award you win at our athletic banquet every year is not MVP. It's the Kelly Muldoon Award for character. And there's a huge difference in the size of the award based on whether or not it's a character award or whether or not it's a soccer award. It doesn't mean we don't try to win every soccer game. We do. But we don't want to win it at the sacrifice of our integrity. And so for me, this character uh, piece is absolutely critical. And it is a difference that, uh, that we have in our environments. And so this conversation for me, I think, is a very, very important one because I think we have an opportunity to do something special with uh, what we have uh, a chance to do in our environments in terms of helping human beings get to their potential. In fact, my favorite story is this Amos Alonzo Stagg story about uh, the coach uh, that wins a football championship at the University of Chicago back in the early 1900s. And right after the game, a reporter walks up to him and says, uh, coach, what do you think of your team? And of course, the way most of us would answer that question, oh, I'll tell you, I thought, you know, our defense had great, uh, the goalkeeper was phenomenal. This, that goal we scored was fantastic, but his answer was absolutely brilliant. Right after the game, when the reporter asked him, you know, what do you think of your team? He said, I'll tell you in 20 years. That is an incredible answer because what he knew is his responsibility wasn't the ephemeral things that occurred that day in terms of how they played. What he knew his responsibility was as a coach was to help shape these boys into men. And at that moment, you couldn't really tell what they were shaped to become. That's why he needed 20 years to see if he had any real impact on them. So for me, uh, that's our moral imperative as collegiate coaches. And it is different. It's different than a professional coach and the environments that Lisa's uh, speaking about. Hey, uh, um, I've got a, a saying that I'm always talking about with, uh, with my assistant coach, and that is, you know, if, if, if we don't like what our team is doing, then we need to look in the mirror. <laughs> and so they uh, um, at least start there. And, uh, and, I, and that's where I'd like to kind of the direction to take the end of this. And that is, you, know, you think of uh, think globally, but act locally. We probably can't affect the IFAB, but we can certainly affect our teams and we can affect maybe even the discussion within United Soccer Coaches at the convention or around, you know, around the meals and stuff. And so any thoughts of just as far as what would be the next step? What would be some things that would be either, you know, that, that maybe would have merit that uh, would be something that'd be worthwhile pursuing? Anybody want to take that on? Actually, I would love for us to expand this sin bin concept. And while we're uh, chatting about that, I'd also like us to consider resolving games. I mean, there's a huge issue. And I think in the American uh, culture, we don't embrace ties as easily as other cultures. And so I think we can sort of explore this area as well, which is why in our overtime periods where we need a result, I think we can do things to make that an accelerated process as well. I think uh, maybe in the overtime period, we eliminate offsides, which would completely change the game. 
in a really interesting way. Because I think we should try to figure out ways to make the game very interesting. Because then, holy cow, is it going to be different? Then the teams that, you know, like to bunker back and sit in can't even go forward if now there's no offsides rule, which, of course, um, would make uh, the tactics at the end of the game interesting. And then I think that uh, we can figure out ways to make sure there is a resolution. And I didn't end up liking the shootout. Of course, I'm old enough to have seen all of the uh, permutations that we've tried to sort out to make our game better. But I do this in my soccer camps. And by the way, if you want to make sure all the parents in your soccer camp on their final day, if you're playing scrimmages, go leave the field just exhilarated. We eliminate offsides in the overtime period. And then we eliminate a player every minute. Until it ends up gladiators. It ends up 1v1 on a 120 by 75, although obviously in a camp, the fields aren't that big. And holy cow, can you cut the tension with a knife? Just the exhilaration and the things we get to talk about at the camp close when games are resolved this way. It just makes our game incredibly exciting. So I want us to explore all kinds of things. And that's why, Mike, thank you for inviting me into this conversation, because I genuinely think that we can do things to uh, certainly make our game ethically better. And I think the sin bin solves that. But I also think we can make our game better. And that's why I would like for us to uh, have these kinds of conversations. But also, we're an experimental culture. Uh, and so I would love for us to take this on as our responsibility, the United States. Making our game better is what uh, hopefully we're all about. Um, let's go through a rapid fire uh, closing comments. Paul, Kelly, Lisa, finish up with you, Anson. Paul, you want to jump us off? Yeah, I think one of the things that's come to mind is a friendly reminder for myself is always keep tomorrow in your mind when you're coaching. And I think that then you just don't get caught up in moments of having hard decisions to make about ethical behaviors and unethical behaviors. And then the other thing I'm, I'm on with Anson, I'm all on making, uh, try and find ways to get resolution in games. And I do like the sin bin. I shared that with you. I think that we should look at it for all different reasons. Delay tactics are certainly one that I'd like us to, to take a closer look at too. But yeah, thank you for having me, Mike. I think it's been wonderful. Great to see everyone too. Kelly. Yeah, agree. I think this has been tremendous. And uh, I, I love the idea of bringing integrity even more to our game. You know, if you talk to people about soccer, the, the kind of, uh, novice or people who don't know it they always moan about our players flopping you know and so like that's one of the things that's really frustrating to me because I, I see this you know all of you have played the game so it's like gut-wrenching and like the drama is so high and it's so hard you have to cover so many miles and it's like you know it's a game of inches and it's just so it's like a just incredibly physical like emotionally taxing chess match that you're going through all the time and then to have some guy or, or a girl, a woman or whatever it is that knows nothing about the game, just moan about the flopping. And, and I agree with you. Like it's the world's game. It's beautiful. It's hard. It's like dramatic. There's errors. Like there's mistakes. Like there's so much depth to it, but that's what we're known for in America. And, and I, I agree with you. Like, man, we're missing out on this, like great integrity. Cause you, you have to be tough to play the game. I mean, it's funny. You talk about, you go to a strength conditioning coach you know, you can't just train like, you have to train like a volleyball athlete. You have to train like a cross country athlete. You have to train like a, a football player. You have to train. I mean, there's so many aspects to it, so much depth. So I, I agree that increasing the integrity of the game uh, and creating opportunities to, to really platform and, and showcase that is vital. And so I, I've, I've loved this discussion. And, and I think if we can get more people on board, we're, we're going to just grow our game and, and let everybody know how beautiful it is. Lisa? As coaches, we um, need to think about who we are coaching, and that's what it comes down to. Uh, what are the goals of our program, level of our program? And just like we want to teach players to be aggressive and we have respects for the fouls that come out of that aggression, um, sometimes at the higher levels, we have to respect the tactical foul because that's a smart foul in that moment. But again, I think it comes back to what Mike said right at the beginning is what is your point and purpose? of um, your program, your game. And um, I love what Paul said about um, inspect, not just what you expect, but that you need to inspect what you want to see in the game. And I've always respected Anson's character above uh, the game. So really good conversation. But again, I think for some coaches, if you told us not to at, at certain levels of the game to take out the tactical foul, people would be potentially in positions where they'd be like, wait, but that's a smart foul. That's a smart thing to do. So just as 
we are appreciative of teaching aggression and are, are okay with taking a foul in that moment because I was over aggressive. We need to be okay with taking a foul because that was a smart thing to do in that moment. Anthony, you want to bring it, bring it home? Sure, yeah. Um, I want to throw in, I guess, some more pieces. First of all, again, Mike, thank you for inviting me uh, into this environment because I love these kinds of conversations. I have an English and philosophy degree, so I spend my life, you know, discussing these issues. Uh, but also, I'm a member of a conservative church like uh, Kelly there at Liberty. And here's what's interesting. Uh, everyone in our church basically is a teacher. And a lot of the stuff I learned in my church applies directly to my coaching environment. And one of the best lessons I ever learned was 20 years ago from a great teacher that taught us that we're becoming teachers within the church to love those you teach. Because here's the problem we're having right now. The problem we're having is kids are quitting our game in droves. The ages of 14, 15, 16, they're quitting our game. And the old days, and uh, looking around this room, I can see that uh, all of you guys have lived long enough to have seen this. For a while there, soccer was the number one game in terms of popularity. I mean, it was a game that everyone was playing. And all of a sudden, certainly in the women's side, we went from nowhere to so many teams. And obviously, Title IX was a driver there. But what's happening right now is I think we're losing this. And what we're losing is we're no longer loving the kids we're coaching. And that has to be a part of what's going on because then the kids don't quit. Because right now it's almost like we're emphasizing too many aspects of the game, 14, 15, 16, and the kids aren't into it anymore. And they don't feel the genuine affection uh, from their coaches. And I think we got to get back to that. I'm reverse engineering our drop off in numbers and the thing I want us to get back to is a very ethical principle of caring for the people you're coaching. And I think this is a spiritual uh, issue that, Mike, you would certainly understand at Belmont. I know that Kelly understands it at Liberty. I know Paul because I worked with him for so long uh, with the old NSCA academies. And so I, I know him well. I know Dean very well as well because we're involved in a podcast right now. And Lisa, because of your pedigree with my dear friend, Tony DeChico, I know you understand all these things, but I think we got to get back to the fundamentals of loving the kids we're coaching. And they're going to feel it. They're going to feel it even through the criticism. They're going to feel it if we do it properly. And this way, our game doesn't dissolve like it's doing now as we lose kids in droves. And I think that's why these conversations you're having, Mike, are critical. We have to figure out a way to recruit people into, I guess, the good side of athletics. And that's why, thank you, Mike, for inviting me and everyone else for uh, embracing this conversation, because I think it's been uh, extraordinary. So thank you. Absolutely awesome. I really, really appreciate you being on to uh, making time for this important topic. Uh, everybody's comments uh, are just spot on and, and uh, very inspiring to me. I kind of started it off, and, and, and Lisa, you kind of talked about it too, that, that point and purpose of sport, they're both so important. Not one is more important than the other. And, uh, and I think everybody's uh, points and comments were, were fantastic. So really, really, uh, really, really appreciate it. Mike Lynch, it's been an honor to get to know you and your role as the leader of the Faith-Based Coaches Advocacy Group and down the road from where I live in Chapel Hill. Anson, always great to see you. Paul, we go way back with the Fox Soccer Game of the Week, which was indeed a pleasure. Love going to Binghamton. Kelly Finley, that big win over UNC Chapel Hill. And Lisa Cole, you always are a breath of fresh air. Congratulations again on your well-deserved letter of commendation. Thank you all for being on the United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by Team Snap. When we return, we'll meet one more member of our 30 under 30 class. This is the United Soccer Coaches Podcast. This is Dean Linky again, and I wanted to take a moment to salute all of the great people that made this year's United Soccer Coaches Digital Convention such a great success. I had the great honor of serving as one of the hosts, and it was one of the best weeks in soccer I've ever had. With that, while the 2021 United Soccer Coaches Digital Convention might be over, you can still get involved as we're just getting started. You can still register to receive access to all session recordings and the digital convention platform. Chat with your soccer coaching community and take in top level presentations from coaches around the globe, all at your own convenience. To register and receive access, visit unitedsoccercoachesconvention.org. That's right, you can still register for the 2021 United Soccer Coaches Digital Convention and have access to all of the amazing presentations. I hope you can take advantage of the special offer. And again, visit unitedsoccercoachesconvention.org.
United Soccer Coaches Advanced Diplomas have long been regarded as an excellent way to expand your coaching knowledge, advance your career, and improve your players' development. Now, with our blended format that incorporates online and in-person learning, coaches with ever-demanding schedules can earn their diploma in the most time-friendly way possible. Visit unitedsoccercoaches.org slash advanced-diplomas for more information. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap. Dean Linky with you. Time to meet another member of our great 30 under 30 class. And that means time with Miguel Gutierrez, who's coming to us from the great state of California. Miguel, thanks for joining the United Soccer Coaches podcast. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. All right. You're in California right now. Tell us where you're working, high school and club. So I am working at Sobrato High School, which is in Morgan Hill, California, and coaching at a local club here, Orchard Valley. I just got hired to coach uh, at a local club here. You know, I like that because there's been a couple 30 under 30 members that are coaching high school and coaching with the club, which goes back to that debate of why can't you do both, right? Because it's all about soccer. It's all about the beautiful game, right, Miguel? Absolutely. It's all about the beautiful game and not just that, but also developing your your athletes into the into the high school atmosphere, I think. Walk us through your path. When did you get to California? What did you do before that? Where did you play club? Did you go to school? Give us your story. Yes. Yeah, so I grew up in Hollywood, California. Actually, I was born there, but was raised in the garlic capital, which is Gilroy, California. I played at a local club here, Orchard Valley, where I currently am now coaching. I started off my coaching career at a small club in back home in Gilroy. Uh, Infinity Sports Club, which I think is uh, it's a small club, but what I really liked about that club was the the atmosphere and the ability to coach athletes that m- maybe other clubs didn't want, and it was it was a great experience there. And I went to San Francisco State for my undergrad major in kinesiology. After that, Ohio University did my master's in coaching education with emphasis in soccer coaching and now going to start my doctorate degree in sports performance sports psychology from university of western state in april and i'm looking forward to that good for you so clearly education has always been important to you is that something that your parents passed down to you or where did you get that drive to get continued education none of my parents actually ever went to college Uh, my mom actually dropped out out of uh middle school and I would, I just loved the education just because of soccer. I, once I started getting recruited, that's when I found out about college, really. And I just started loving the whole science behind sports. And one of the reasons why I started really finding out more about kinesiology and sports science. Do they understand it enough, despite the fact that they didn't have advanced education, to be super proud of you, Miguel? Oh, uh, yes. I come from a single mother. And so she she definitely showed a lot of great values and her work ethic is something that I learned from her at a young age. And so I applied that into my education and into my coaching. Wow. Well done her for uh, being a single mom and doing what she's done with you because you certainly are inspirational, particularly the fact that you've already got a master's from my alma mater, by the way, Ohio U, and that uh, you're going on to get a doctorate. That is awesome. As you sit here today, what's been your greatest memory in soccer? Maybe even the 30 under 30 is, is part of that, but what's been your greatest memory either as a player or as a coach so far? Uh, as a, as a player, I think the, I think the best memory I have is having a coach who really believed in me and just, you know, was able to have that relationship throughout my years and, and today. And I think that's been one of the best experiences. And not just that, but, you know, one of my high school coaches, he became my mentor and one of the reasons why I, I went into coaching. It. So I think that's one of the best memories in, in coaching as a player and as a coach. And now I'm able to, to do the same with, with my athletes. And what, right when they move, uh, move on from high school, you know, I still get in touch with them and still try to get in, in contact and let them know that, you know, I'm still here if they need anything. Miguel, it's been interesting as I'm interviewing every single member of the 30 under 30 class. It has been really incredible to see so many Latino soccer coaches. I do a lot of work with Julio Serrano, who now chairs the Latino soccer coaches. So to see the 30 under 30 group put their money where their mouth is and give opportunities for young Latino coaches, are you seeing that as well? 
Yes, there's a lot of Latino coaches out here in California, and I think it's great what Julio's doing and the whole Latino for United uh, Soccer Coaches is doing. I mean, they, they had a great webinar during the convention. Uh, it was just phenomenal. And, you know, hopefully we get more Latinos, whether it's female or, or male. More specifically, I think more fe females. I think we all need more females in the coaching field and hopefully, you know, Latinas too. But in general, I think everyone's doing a great job in the Latino community. That's very noble of you to say. Uh, I don't know how often you've heard my interviews with the 30 under 30 class, but this is always a tough question because sometimes you don't know what you're going to do tomorrow, let alone 10 years from now. But I do like to ask the crystal ball question, Miguel, like where do you see yourself as a coach 10 years from now? Any idea? Oh, well, I mean, I'm 25 now, so I'll be 35 then. Hopefully I'll be coaching college, whether it's JC uh, or a four year, maybe getting my, my head around at maybe national level, whether it's volunteering or whether it's being a sports psychologist somewhere at I know. I think education is the most important thing. And I think with, with that, I mean, it will open a lot of doors, but hopefully coaching somewhere at, at the high level. It's interesting as we deal with this pandemic, a lot of times we're wearing masks because we're doing this via Zoom. And granted, it's audio, so my listeners can't see Miguel, but you don't have a mask on. But I can tell that you smiled through your eyes anyway. <laughs> you look like a, a happy man, Miguel. Life looks like it's going pretty good for you, despite uh, everything we're dealing with. I like to stay positive, and that's something that I always tell my my athletes, uh, regardless uh, if this pandemic happened. Or, you know, that's something that I really try to tell my my athletes. You know, bring a smile to practice, and just you know, smile. You, you can make someone's day by smiling and just being positive. You don't you never know what they're going through, and and so you know, a lot of people don't know my story, but they sure know that I enjoy it, smiling and 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 you know enjoying life <laughs> yeah i feel like you might even smile when you sleep that's how big a smile you have even <laughs> in your eyes as well well let's end with positivity so positively you are so proud to be a member of the 30 under 30 class why put that into words miguel i think it's a definitely a prestige mentorship program and i'm really proud of that because you know not everyone gets gets it in and you know you have to really stand out I think and and to be able to to do that and and just interact with other coaches and and mentors I think is is great that only motivates me into into my coaching path like for example if I were to go and do an interview I'm, I'm not going to go with my head down I'm going to go with my head up because I knew I was selected for 30 under 30 so you know there's 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 something unique about me I, I think if they were selected me and I, and you know that's the way I'm going to go about it and you know maybe I won't select, be selected but this is something that I think 30 under 30 is, is a great program all right because of that we're going to do one more uh, and what I mean by because of that because of your light and because you remind me of Julio Serrano I'm going to make you unless you tell me no your final comments in Spanish just thanking United Soccer Coaches and what it means to be a member all in Spanish can you hit that or not Yes, I can hit that. <laughs> we'll go with it. Uh, gracias a, a, al grupo de, de Latinos de United Soccer Coaches. Estoy muy orgulloso de que ellos me, sele me seleccionaron <laughs> y me escogieron, digo. Y pues es, es, un, es una alegría pa, para mí y pues para mi madre que es soltera. Y, y pues hay que hacerlo mejor y ojalá que esté en un nivel más alto en mi carrera de, de coaching. As I said to Julio, I'll have what he's having. Well done, Miguel. Thank you so much for that final answer. And thanks for being a member of the 30 Under 30 class. Pleasure to get to know you. Thank you for this. Thanks for listening to the weekly United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap. To learn more, visit unitedsoccercoaches.org and teamsnap.com.